Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Norcross, along with Luke Doris. This is podcast number six of 2019. Hi, Luke. Hey, Brian. It's uh, It hasn't been busy in the tropics, but it sure has been busy in South Florida uh, with kind of tropical moisture combining with an uh, upper-level system. It will not end. Yeah, it's been twice now that we've had these unusually strong dips in the jet stream over the Gulf of Mexico. They pump in tropical moisture, and the past, today's day number four of just horrendous rainfall in the afternoons. Uh, it's been interesting because the you know the talk and the forecast, the local forecast has been, hey, we're going to see a lot of rain in the afternoons. Rain chances in the in the uh, seven-day forecast have been high, but the mornings have been dry, and then the afternoon comes and it unloads. So and it happened over the weekend, and I, so I forecast on Friday and talking about you know hey, it's going to be a stormy weekend, and it was. And then people come in, they say, hey, we had sunshine on Saturday and Sunday morning. What's the deal? What happened to all that rain? And uh, it's an interesting lesson in how rain chances are perceived. And I know that we've had that and uh, that discussion before, Brian. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to talk about that some more. Well, here we are today with the kickoff, the beginning of the peak of hurricane season as we're right near the beginning of August. And there is nobody better to have on with us than Dr. Phil Klotzbach. Now, if you follow seasonal hurricane forecasts, you know the famous forecast from Colorado State University started by Dr. Bill Gray back in 1984. He pioneered the idea of looking ahead to the hurricane season. And Phil worked with Bill and subsequently took over that project. So Phil will be on with us today in just a few minutes. We'll talk about what's going on in the Pacific and the Atlantic that might affect the rest of this hurricane season. And just today, in fact, just a couple of hours before we uh, are taping this podcast, Phil and his project partner, Michael Bell, put out their new forecast. Now, we're recording this on Monday, August 5th, 2019. If you're listening at some point in the future, you've got to tune into Local 10 or check the Max Tracker app or the Local 10 weather app for any kind of current weather information. So, Luke, uh, we talked about it a little bit. But the thing that's really making it rain is that we have this dip in the jet stream, essentially kind of northern weather sticking its nose down into South Florida. And you combine that with the tropical moisture that gets pulled up from the south and uh, you get this heavy rain. And if you look at the models, it, it this pattern kind of doesn't stop. I mean, this it moves out, but another one uh, comes in that also looks pretty strong. Yeah, it's a brief little break. And and again, this isn't the first time that we'd seen this. I mean, we might expect to see something kind of, it looks to me more of a wintry type pattern than something you would see in the dead of summer uh, to get that big of a dip. And, and they've been kicking strong fronts into the deep south as well. Uh, and, and basically, for us, it just means very, very rainy. And uh, you're right, it's tough to break. And while we're getting the rain on the east side uh, of the country, the west side is under a tremendous area of high pressure, and they've seen horrendous heat and uh, and some drier weather there. So and that's just been the case for us. Yeah, and you know, the extreme weather we've seen in various places, including in Europe, is related to the opposite of this. Instead of northern weather dipping down to the south, it's like southern weather pushing its nose way up to the north and putting record temperatures up even above the Arctic Circle. So uh, how this correlates to our changing climate and the warming of the Arctic, uh, research will have to continue to look at that. But this is one of the things that the research indicated would happen. You have these sharper dips in, in the uh, jet stream. So 
talking about the tropics, we had a tropical wave that that the models got uh, kind of excited about, and the National Hurricane Center had up to 70% chance of development uh, at one point when it was well east of the islands, kind of between the islands and Africa. And then it kind of petered out and, and uh, came through the eastern Caribbean islands as some gusty weather, but that's just about it. Yeah, basically ran out of time, didn't it, Brian? I mean, uh, once it got to the Caribbean islands, then it hit some high shear, right? And that just that basically is the the end of the time. Its road has run out. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. There there has been this high shear over the Caribbean. Uh, Caribbean really has been unfavorable for any kind of development. But also, it was a very large tropical wave, but it ended up having this sort of elongated shape. And once they get that big elongated shape, sometimes it takes some time to consolidate. And as you say, it ran out of time. And then right behind it, there's another wave. Uh, and that one is just, again, in between the the dust and the shear and the just unfavorable conditions in the Atlantic, that's nothing going to come of that. And it's been a very dusty year um, all the way across the Atlantic. In fact, we've been showing for the first time this year that model uh, out of uh, Goddard, a NASA model that that uh, models the dust across the Atlantic. It's been pretty impressive. Well, good. We like that. We hope that it will uh, stay, but I imagine that our guest today, Dr. Phil Klotzbach, is going to say it's still early in the season. We'll see what the rest <laughs> of the season holds. Well, it certainly is. Um, yeah, it all starts really about the 20th of, of August. Well, these days, more than 20 organizations and agencies make hurricane forecasts. In other words, forecasting how many tropical storms and hurricanes are going to form in the Atlantic Caribbean or the Gulf of Mexico. And the best known, along with the government, NOAA and the National Hurricane Center, and their forecast actually will come out this week on Thursday, it's Colorado State University, or CSU. And as I said, that project is headed by Dr. Phil Klutzbach and Michael Bell now. We talked to Dr. Phil just a couple of minutes ago by phone, and uh, let's bring him in now. Hi, Phil. Welcome to our podcast as we kick off the heart of hurricane season 2019. Thanks for having me, Brian. And so Dr. Gray was such a big presence for everybody that knew him including the bell you would ring for the beginning of the peak of hurricane season. Tell us about that. Yeah, so every year Dr. Gray would ring a bell. We do these uh, tropical weather briefings every day during the summer. Um, and he would come down on August the 20th, or the closest weekday to that date, and uh, ring a bell, literally signifying the, the active part of the hurricane season. So while the hurricane season is six months long, running from June 1st to the end of November, um, most of your hurricane activity occurs between August and October, and it's really, really peak between about August 20th and October 10th. Um, so we haven't had a whole lot in June and July through early August, and that's pretty common. Most hurricane seasons are pretty quiet up to now, and they really start to ramp up, um, especially mid to late August or September into early October. Yes, <laughs> and uh, Bill would celebrate that or uh, notice that every year. All right, let's get right to it. Uh, tell us about your updated forecast that uh, you put out today and what's behind it. Yeah, so our updated forecast, uh, including the two storms that have formed, so we've already had two. We had Andrea, which was a very, very short-lived uh, subtropical storm in May, and then we had Barry, which was a, a, a hurricane that made, that made landfall uh, in Louisiana in July. We're calling for a total of 14 named storms. Of those 14, seven becoming hurricanes, and of those seven, two becoming major Category 3 to 5 hurricanes. 
winds of 111 miles per hour or greater because we've already had two named storms and one hurricane, uh, an additional 12 named storms, six hurricanes, and two major hurricanes. So pretty much a dead-on average hurricane season. We've talked here on the podcast. And, and what's behind it? What's behind it? Uh, you know, what's your thinking? Uh, yeah, so the, the game to that conclusion. Yeah, yeah. So the big, the big thing going on with the uh, with the hurricane forecast is um, we had a, a weak El Nino in place um, over the past winter through the spring into the summer, um, and it's weakened quite a bit. Um, and so we think El Nino. We're probably going to be moving out of the official NOAA definition of an El Nino here in the next few weeks. Uh, but there does seem to be there's quite a bit of warmth. It's still warmer than normal at the central tropical Pacific. So we think overall, uh, when you have an El Nino, it tends to increase upper-level winds that come into the Caribbean, into the Atlantic and shear apart hurricanes, tear them apart. And we think we're going to still have a little bit of, of that uh, signal, especially in the Caribbean, potentially extending across more of the Atlantic. Um, the other factor that we look at this year and every year is what the water temperatures are looking like in the Atlantic right now. Uh, they're warmer than normal in the subtropics, but in the deep tropics, where most of typically your major hurricanes form, it's actually a little bit cooler than average right off of Africa, a little warmer than normal in the central tropical Atlantic. So we think that's kind of a neutral factor as of now for the uh, for the 2019 season. Dr. Klotzbach, we talked here, and you just mentioned it a little bit about the mixed signals, uh, you know, with El Nino. And uh, El Nino, of course, uh, you just mentioned, could lead to higher shear, and that could reduce potentially the uh, tropical cyclone activity in the Atlantic. But if, if you look at the Pacific water temperatures or the pressures in the Southwest Pacific, there's a little bit of uh, a mixed signal here. Some, some scientists have said that maybe the atmosphere is even a little confused. So what is going on with El Nino, and does it put more uncertainty in the forecast? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree that it's definitely the atmosphere is a little confused. Uh, what we have right now is, right now, so if you look in the eastern tropical Pacific, so off the coast of Peru, um, in the eastern portion of the tropical Pacific, it's actually a little bit colder than normal. Um, pushing La Nina conditions, but in the central tropical Pacific, um, near the international date line, um, it's much warmer than normal. It's near record warmth there. Um, and so we have kind of these two contrasting kind of water temperature patterns that are kind of pulling and, and pulling at each other here. Um, we think kind of based on the, the fact that the waters in the central tropical Pacific are just warmer, um, just that, uh, they're just climatologically or, nat or um, on average they're just much warmer than in the eastern Pacific, if that's going to tend to dominate the circulation pretty much, but definitely right now the um it's definitely some quite a bit of mixed signals in the uh, in the tropical Pacific with the current El Nino pattern. It's it's pretty unusual. If you go back to the records decent records go back to nineteen fifty, we haven't kind of seen this type of a dramatic difference in temperature pattern in a non strong La Nina situation. So this is kind of uh, unusual in the historical record. Talking about the Atlantic for a second, we've seen that the so called stability Essentially, the propensity for thunderstorms to form over the tropical Atlantic has been below normal this year, and a large contributor to that is at least uh, partly is the Saharan dust, and maybe that's the biggest contributor. Is that any kind of predictor for the rest of the season, having so much dust over the tropical Atlantic? Yeah, yeah the, the, big, the big factor is actually, you know, so when you get strong waves coming off Africa, those deep thunderstorm complexes that move off Africa, when they come off Africa, they actually trigger pretty sizable dust outbreaks uh, with those. So getting dust in the eastern and central tropical Atlantic, the correlation between that and the hurricane activity for the season is fairly low. But what we have found is that if you look at dust in the Caribbean, 
that's actually a stronger signal. The correlation there is, is, is considerably stronger, and I think it kind of makes sense because basically that means you have pretty strong low-end-of-level wind flow um, and, and also more shear extending all the way into the Caribbean. So you find the signal is actually stronger uh, the further west you go into the Caribbean. Um, and when you look at, when I looked at new mid-level moisture and things for this year through July, it looked like, you know, over Africa, the, the rainfall looked pretty kind of near normal, as best we can tell. Um, the moisture over the eastern tropical Atlantic was, was relatively near normal, but if you look, the Caribbean was fairly dry, um, especially June-July time frame, and that's pretty typical kind of of the lingering El Nino situation that we have. Um, and so that's kind of one of the big question marks is, given the current El Nino state, you know, if, if things are going to transition away, they need to transition quickly because, as we just talked about, you know, we only have, you know, 10, ten weeks and the peak of the season is, is done. So, you know, it, things are going to have to change quickly overall with the, with the circulation to, um, to get the season to ramp up. We've all noticed that we go through periods in most hurricane seasons when there are a lot of storms, they form, and then things just seem to shut down. And we assume that has something to do with these kind of dark and mysterious things known as the MJO and Kelvin waves, which I refer to uh, or defer to uh, Mike Ventress on those. He puts out a lot of great stuff on, on Twitter. Uh, but these MJOs and Kelvin waves, they can enhance and suppress activity. It seems like if a suppressed phase came by the peak of hurricane season, that could affect your numbers. Or, or does all this just even out in the end? Yeah, you know, and you're right. I mean, a lot of it depends. So, so Kelvin waves operate on fairly short timescales, um, so they they can certainly enhance activity, but it's more like a you know a week on, a week off, and so that timing of that probably isn't as, as important of a player for the overall seasonal numbers. But definitely, if you get you know, so you mentioned this this MJO, which is basically deep thunderstorms that kind of propagate around the globe about every 30 to 60 days, and when they Kind of what they do when they move over the Atlantic and move just east into Africa really reduces your shear and gives you a much more conducive pattern. And so, if you were to get, say, a very strong, favorable MJO at the peak of the season, right around September 10th, that could really amp up the season. And so, if you look at seasonal forecasts, you know, we get about, we can explain maybe 50 to 60 percent of the variability in, in the hurricane activity. There's always going to be some we can't explain, and some of that probably is due to more of these subseasonal types of. of um, circulations that come through and can and can, can influence things. Um, but the, the MJO is, isn't always very strong. Some years it's fairly weak. So some years, if you look at hurricane activity, it kind of goes up and down with just a seasonal cycle. Other years are these big spikes followed by really quiet periods, and those tend to be periods where the subseasonal forcing is much stronger. Um, for example, if we're looking at the Atlantic right now, the Atlantic the next couple weeks looks very, very quiet. We put out a subseasonal two-week forecast. Uh, today as well, and that forecast uh, was for, for below normal for the next two weeks. But even the end of those two weeks puts us to um, puts us through September 18th, or sorry, August 18th. So we're still not quite to the time where Bill Gray would historically ring the bell. So even if the next two weeks we get nothing, there's still a lot of hurricane season to go. And something we always emphasize is that really the season doesn't really wrap up until at least in August. Yeah, and in South Florida, really August 20th is we only had one. Uh, significant hurricane before uh, August 20th. Uh, one of the traditional predictors for how many storms will develop is related to the wind flow across the Caribbean, and another is the ocean temperature off of Africa in the far eastern Atlantic. But aren't the strength of the winds across the tropics and the water temperatures 
uh, related. Can you explain how the wind and the strength of the Bermuda High all fit into the puzzle and affect the water temperatures? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you're right. All these all these predictors are somewhat intercorrelated. If you were talking about the predictors in our, we do basically do several different approaches to come up with our forecast numbers. One is a statistical model, which basically relates wind patterns, pressure patterns, water temperature patterns in various areas, and you put them into a statistical model. And we try to predict, have those predictors, we try to predict or use predictors that don't correlate very strongly with each other. Um, so we use winds in the Caribbean and water temperatures more in the subtropical Atlantic. And so when the waters in the subtropical Atlantic are warmer than normal, that tends to feed into um, more fuel for the hurricanes, but also much um, lower pressures and more unstable atmosphere for storms. Likewise, in the Caribbean, we look a lot at the low-level wind flow because if you have weaker trade winds, so winds that flow from east to west across the Caribbean and Atlantic, if those winds are weaker, that tends to mean you overall have most likely a lot of event because the pressure there to get the weaker winds has to be higher. Um, and typically lower pressure in the Atlantic and lower pressure in the Atlantic, like when your barometer falls at home, lower pressure means a more unstable atmosphere um, and conditions that are more conducive for the deep thunderstorms that are the building blocks of the hurricane. So we try to kind of take all these different parameters and try to associate how they all interrelate with each other. So typically... Lower pressure tends to be associated with a more unstable atmosphere, weaker winds, which mean less shear, and the weaker winds mean less churning up of the ocean surface, which then warms the waters, and the warmer waters are more fuels for the storm. So they tend to all be pretty closely related to each other, not, not perfectly correlated, but in general, when you have warm waters, you have low shear, you have more moisture, you have lower pressure, and generally go together. There was some talk, it seems, that the so-called busy period of hurricane activity in the Atlantic might be ending. Uh, then last year it was pretty busy, including a Category 5. Where do we stand in terms of the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation, uh, the, the cycle of overall hurricane activity? Uh, the, the active cycle started, I believe, in 95. I, is it ending? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the, uh, I'd say the million-dollar question, but it's probably more the, the many-billion-dollar question right now. Um, so one of the things with these multi-decadal kind of active and inactive periods that we have is that, you know, just because you're in an active period doesn't mean you won't have um, an inactive season, especially with El Nino. And likewise, if you're in an inactive period, you can have very active seasons. Um, and also, even if you have a quiet season, as I'm sure Brian knows very, very well, you can have a, a devastating storm, The most probably the most classic example, what CSU was issuing forecast was 1992. Dr. Gray put out a great forecast a year of only one major hurricane. You know, we got to late August, and we had had nothing all year, and then we had the first storm of the year with Hurricane Andrew, which obviously in South Florida everyone is still very familiar with. Um, and so we do have those caveats. But so so, 27, so 2013 to 15, those three years were all very quiet hurricane seasons. Uh, 2016 was a little bit above average, but a lot of that storm activity came late, some of it was fairly high latitude. Obviously, 2017 was a super active season most notable for hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria. And then last year was kind of an unusual year. We had some storm activity in the deep tropics, but overall the tropics, it was a near average, maybe even a little bit below, but the, the subtropics or in higher latitudes was extremely active last year. And typically when the tropics, typically the subtropical activity is fairly weak and short-lived, but last year we had several hurricanes. Uh, form in the subtropics, and so what kind of helped uh, to up the number. So I think the jury is kind of still out as to exactly, 
you know, since the fact of era, you know, coming to an end. Um, I would say some singles point towards yes, and others, you know, we obviously still had the last few years have been, you know, especially 2017 was pretty active, so I think it's still kind of uncertain at this point. I guess that's one of the things you, you know when you see it after the fact. So I couldn't help but notice, you mentioned it, that in your report, that when, you, when you put out your forecast, years from the past that you think correlate uh, well with this year, and you picked 1992 and 2012 as two of your analog years, which are first are Hurricanes, Andrew and Sandy. Uh, how was it that 1992 uh, was somehow like what you're seeing this year? Yeah, and so, you know, this year, so, so obviously no two years are alike. Um, and so any year, you know, and, and any year it's, it's challenging to pick analogs. But this year I'd say it was especially so, just especially given the Central Pacific portion that we have, there's really not many years that have any, had anything similar. The closest one we could find to that was 1994, but the Atlantic was extremely cold in 1994, so we didn't really, uh, we didn't really think that was a very good analog. You know, 92 was kind of one of the Central Pacific, the Armenia was still kind of going on there. Um, the Atlantic looked reasonably similar. Um, so when we pick analogs, what we're looking at is kind of the large-scale atmosphere ocean um, and how it compares with what we currently see. We're not specifically Brian. forecasting steering flows. So just because, for example, you pick a year like 92 as an analog, does not say, you know, we're expecting another <laughs> Hurricane Andrew in, in 2019, likewise 2012 with Sandy. Some of 2012 looks, looks pretty similar to this year, but there's other things where 2012 looks very different to this year. But that's just kind of the nature of picking analogs that, you know, you're never going to find two years that look alike. And this year's kind of the current setup is, is pretty unusual in the historical record. And so it's probably even a little bit – when I when I have automated schemes that pick analogs, there's nothing that comes up particularly close. The, the agreements are pretty weak for, for any particular year, unfortunately. Yeah, this is an unusual-looking year with the character of the El Nino and the sort of conflicting fields, and and then we have all these subtropical questions and how that affects the numbers. All right, Phil, we thank you so much for being on the podcast uh, with us on the day that you issued your your final full forecast, I guess, here uh, at the beginning of August, and we're, um, we're hoping for a calm hurricane season, so help us out. <laughs> Thanks so much, Brian. Take care. <laughs> all right, take care. Nobody knows hurricane statistics like Phil Klesbach. Boy, anytime I want to know something about how one thing correlates with the other in the tropics, uh, Phil is our guy. He's another one of those walking encyclopedias. The guy just is a, is a mountain of knowledge. He really is, and he's got, he's got all that uh, in his computer. So the bottom line of, of the uh, forecast, the prediction for the rest of the hurricane season, is 12 more named storms. And six more hurricanes, because we had that hurricane for a minute, Barry. And so a seven total, six more, and two Category 3 and above. Okay. So, so that's from this date forward, and, right. and that's pretty similar to the previous forecast, correct? Yeah, it's essentially the same. And Phil and I have actually talked about this since the spring, and it really is an unusually uncertain a year because you have all these conflicting signals and a lot of the signals are kind of right in the middle they're not strong either way so anyway it's a it's an interesting science that uh, it works but it doesn't work perfectly and the bottom line is whatever the numbers are we all have to be ready that's uh, that's the main point and uh, you know uh, 
Uh, Luke, the the only one hurricane we've talked about it on a podcast here. In fact, we talked about it with Dr. Uh, Jack Bevan from the Hurricane Center that came before August 20th in South Florida was in 1888. Was that Miami Beach hurricane that nobody really talks about because we don't know much about it. Uh, but that was the one. Yeah, that's the one that was apparently up to 14 feet of storm surge. It was a bad storm, if the reports were right, one that we had spoken about previously. Right, right. And and what we know about it, the only real direct information we have about it is after it passed what today is Miami. There was no Miami at the time, but there were people over on the west coast of the state. So we know there was a storm and a significant storm that crossed the state, but um, they're really hanging their their. Uh, their estimate of what the intensity was when it went over uh, South Florida based on that 14 feet of storm surge report. But I went back and looked at a guy named Jay Barnes wrote the book about the Florida hurricanes where he mentions that. And it says in Miami. So we don't know what that means really in the context of uh, a place that doesn't have a city of Miami at that time. All it has is a river named Miami and uh, it was at some point referred to the Miami River region, so maybe that's what Miami means. I don't know. We don't. We don't really know. So you just mentioned, you know, we all have to be prepared, no matter what the forecast, you know, seasonal forecast outlook is. Do hurricane seasonal forecasts? Do you think they can they send a wrong message? How are they perceived? Well, the uh, evidence I've seen says no. Although you know, certainly people. I'm sure they ask you like they ask me, what's this season going to be look like, uh, going to be like? That's what everybody wants to know. But when it comes down to a hurricane threatening, if it's a significant hurricane, there's no problem getting people organized and prepared. That's a good point. The big issue is when there's a tropical storm or something like that coming that might blow up into something big, but... You know, when you tune in and take a look at what it is now, you know, they're talking about it being a 60 or 70 mile an hour tropical storm. Getting people fully geared up for something like that um, is much more difficult. And you might be able to make a case if they have in their mind that it's going to be a fairly quiet hurricane season. It might make it a little harder to get them geared up. I don't think we have any evidence to support that. Just seems like that might be the case. Yeah. And just to. The, the background state of the atmosphere is really what these tell us, right? How many building blocks do we have uh, going forward to to produce a lot of, you know, net cyclone energy or accumulated cyclone energy? Uh, the specifics, of course, they elude us, uh, but the background and the capability is really what we can kind of prepare for. And there's value in that. It's better than climatology. What Dr. Klotzbach puts out is better than climatology. And it can allow you to, you know, prepare for what potentially could be a much more active season than a normal one. And there's value there. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that we all have to remember is where we live, there's lots of warm water all around Florida in every direction, South Florida, uh, especially. Uh, There's plenty of warm water. The water is never too cool to support hurricanes in any direction from us in South Florida. So that's not a player like it is in other places and, and it can be a player in other places and in 1992 with hurricane andrew it was really a very unfavorable year but this pocket of favorable atmosphere just happened to come over south florida at exactly the time that the disturbance that was tropical storm andrew and then 
Hurricane Andrew, but they converged at that point and then moved on. And then the season was not uh, busy after that at all. So it can still happen even with general unfavorability. And that's why what Phil says, and we always say that, you know, every year we live in South Florida, we have to prepare. That's just the bottom line. You know, uh, the other thing, Luke, is that there was a study that came out just recently, I think it was uh, last week, that talked about the forecastability threshold. So how far in the future can we forecast and perhaps will we ever be able to forecast? And the number is about two weeks just because the atmosphere is chaotic and by definition chaotic systems where the slightest change today can make a big change a week from now or two weeks from now or three weeks from now. And, uh, and since it's such a slight change to start with, it may not be detectable and therefore you can't uh, ultimately forecast downstream too far. So that I think comes into to play with these hurricane seasonal forecasts and why they'll never be precise because there can always be some, you know, butterfly that flaps its wings and creates a hurricane or, you know, at least uh, metaphorically speaking. Well, good. Then uh, we'll still have jobs. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, so, that's, hey, we, we, we still have some uncertainty to talk about. Might do this. It yeah. might not. We'll see. We'll talk to you later on. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. So uh, that's our podcast for this week. Now, next week, you're going to want to tune in uh, next Wednesday. We're going to be talking with storm tracker Jim Cantori, my good friend for many, many, many years, of course, from the Weather Channel. And he's just become famous with, because of his amazing career tracking hurricanes tracking winter storms making it thunder snow and and everything we're going to talk about uh, jim and his his career and uh, his interests and and what keeps him going uh, after all these years he's been doing it uh, 30 i don't know i don't remember 35 years 33 years something like that it's crazy anyway um jim cantora is on uh, next week's podcast so for now for luke doris i'm brian norcross that's your podcast this week. Thanks so much for listening in. And we'll be here next week with Jim Cantori. Have a good week.